Hi, everyone. Welcome to Prolific Muse. I am your host, Nika. Prolific Muse is a podcast that provides comprehensive career advice. We interview people from every career field, and we hope to inspire and empower people who may be confused about their career trajectory. Um, and I would like to thank our first ever guest, Daria Silas, who is a biomedical engineer for joining us today. Um, I am incredibly grateful for your willingness to join me, and I believe this will be of aid to many people who are interested in this particular career path. Um, so you are a biomedical engineer and also a fellow CUNY graduate. Uh, Daria attended the City College of New York, and now she works for a biotechnology company that invents life-transforming medicines for people with serious diseases and you've been working there for about a year and three months so um i hope i was pronouncing your name right by the way <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're my first name right daria okay. silas, though. oh it's silas okay yeah that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> okay, sorry about that um so i would like for you to introduce yourself a little bit uh, tell me a little bit about your background and how did you become interested in pursuing a career in stem yeah sure so i am a biomedical engineer and that's what i did in my undergraduate um, degree and I basically got interested in that in high school because I was trying to find a middle ground in healthcare where I didn't want to be a doctor and be touching and helping patients because I had um, I had tried that before in like working in an ambulance, but it just wasn't my thing. And then I was also, I wanted to help, but I didn't know how my skill set actually met that need. And then I had talked to, to people around and um, my cousin kind of introduced me to this field because he had heard of it from other people he knew. Um, and that's kind of why I chose it randomly to study in college. And it just happened to be something I liked. Um, then moving on from through my undergraduate career, I was working in a lot of research. So I did a lot of um, specifically microfluidic um, research applied to the body. And basically from um, learning about just learning about the research process and learning how what you do in a research lab can directly impact people kind of led me more to want to work in like pharmaceutical science when I graduated college. And that's kind of how I ended up applying to um, Regeneron where I work now. So um, what was that process like for you? Um, are you, are other people in your family, did they pursue a college education as well? So did you have that strong foundation um, or were you just kind of figuring it out on your own? So um, both my parents do have college educations, but it did take them seven years each to graduate. So um, one of them has a degree in business and then the other, my mom has a degree in art. So it was kind of a new thing for me to be choosing STEM because my parents really have no idea about anything in STEM. So it was definitely a lot of figuring out for me in that regard, where I kind of had to do a lot of research myself and kind of use the resources that whatever city college had to offer as well. So what was that process like? How did you decide which institution that you wanted to attend? I think I was, I was mostly just, uh, I applied to any college with the program I thought I wanted, but I really didn't know what that would look like. I kind of ended up at City, city College just because um, of, it was in Manhattan and I figured that it would be better to live in Manhattan than it would be in Boston or Indiana so I was like I was like I might as well go here other than that I didn't think about it that much 
And it's also more cost effective too to stay, I mean, within the city that you grew up because I mean, college is such an expensive thing. Um, so I, I wanna know what kind of skills and abilities and personal attributes are es essential to success in the STEM field, but more particular in the biomedical engineering field? I think um, a few attributes is just like having a curiosity for learning and just being really open to learning new things and constantly learning new things because that's all a part of research. Like I'm almost in school right now because I constantly have to learn something new, learn how to do something new or, um, and just constantly learning from other people. Um, and I also think that it's, um, I think, what else? There was one more thing I had in mind, but I forgot. <laughs> okay, maybe I'll come to you later on. Um, but I also wanted to kind of walk through what your daily routine looks like. What, you know, I, I, but when I was doing a little bit of research, I saw that some uh, biomedical engineers worked in hospitals while others worked in labs. So kind of walk me through a day-to-day -day life for you. Yeah, sure. So um, for my specific job, I... Um, since it's very research-based, it's very project-dependent. So I work on a number of projects within my research lab, and we I perform um, a specific set of things that have to do with affinity and kinetics relative to um, antibodies. So that's basically how well does an antibody bind to another antibody. Okay. So basically, um, I do different kinds of testing relative to that idea and um, that can mean that I'll be in the lab either for like 10 hours in one day or like maybe one hour the next day because it just varies on how long an exper experiment takes and you kind of have no choice but to finish it. <laughs> so you don't really have a set schedule. You kind of have to roll with the punches. Exactly. And then within the gaps, mm -hmm. whatever gap in time you have is when you're doing the documentation. So you know how you do lab reports in school? Yeah. Like, my life is lab reports <laughs> constantly. So that's like a whole other level to it. Yeah. Well, speaking to that, since you don't really have a set schedule, um, I want to know what is the work-life balance for you? Because, I mean, we are in a time right now where a lot of people are leaving their jobs. Um, it's the great resignation. A lot of people are fed up with their industries and just don't want to, you know, work for their sector anymore. So I want to know that does this particular career field, does it provide a good work-life balance? So I think it really depends on your level. So for me as an entry level and kind of the group I'm specifically in, I, I do tend to work more in person than I think more people would like. So like for the past two weeks, I was going in every day, but the last two days I didn't have to go in. So um, because it's a very hands-on job, you're more expected to be there. The only times that um, you could really work from home is mm -hmm when you have nothing to do hands-on in lab, or if you're like an upper management person and the upper management really doesn't have to come in because they don't have to do the physical work that we do. Okay, so it's not like a typical like nine to five work schedule and you get those weekends off. 
It's, it is a, it is a nine to five, but um, like they're salaried positions, but if mm -hmm. the work gets heavier at one point of the year, it just, it's because work is busier. So you don't really get to choose how many hours you work. Mm -hmm. Although it's meant to be a nine to five job, but I am off on the weekends. Okay. And I usually don't worry about work. My boss is like, don't open your computer. Don't b bother with it. Okay. That's really important. You know, yeah. not I, bringing work into, you know, your personal life. I think it's really important. Um, so I want to know, what would you recommend? So somebody who is interested in pursuing a career in, you know, biomedical engineering, what steps should they take? So something interesting when I started City College was on, like, I think our first day of our class that was, like, for BME 101, they were like, oh, yeah, so, like, if you guys don't do everything, anything, um, something every single summer till you graduate, you guys will not get a job. And we were like, oh, okay, thanks for letting <laughs> us know. <laughs> so um, I think the just, um, I think starting my research career early helped a lot and being very um, open to, like, reaching out to professors made a big difference because literally from the moment I found the professor whose research I liked, I walked up to him after class and I was like, hey, can, like, do you have room in your lab? Can I work in your lab? And he was like, no. <laughs> then I followed up with him as, as I knew that other people uh -huh. were graduating. And I kept following up with him until he let me in his lab. And that's kind of the lab I was in for the last, for the next three years. But I also worked in two other labs before that to gain the experience um, just to get somebody to let me in a lab. <laughs> oh, wow. So you were very like relentless and unwavering with your determination, which is a good thing. I mean, it's really great that you learned early on that, listen, in order to obtain work after I graduate, I need, you know, good work experiences by doing these internships. Because I feel like a lot of people leave graduate school and they have maybe one internship under their belt if they're lucky. Yeah, I think City College is very honest about that, I have to say. And because I, I was able to start my research career very early on, I interned at um, Regeneron in my junior year. And then I interned at another pharmaceutical company after I graduated college. So just like all those little things like led up to the internships, which then led me to a temp job <laughs> to still get my the job that I have now. So with with um, your position, your current position at Regeneron, so you were an intern initially, so did they call you back on when they had a, a position open? No, so um, the interesting thing about Regeneron is that even if you intern there, you're not necessarily guaranteed a job there. So I interned there and then um, you have to go back and apply to jobs that you're interested in later on. Okay. And that's basically what I did after I'd finished my um, internship and my like senior year after I graduated, I went back to apply and I was having a little hard time like getting something to stick. So that's ended up how I took a temp job. Mm -hmm. And then the temp job went from six months to a year and then they opened up a position for me. So it was a long time of waiting, but um, there was not really any guarantees until I got um the actual position. Okay. So, so the temporary job that was still with the company that you work for now, Regeneron. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. okay. And um, so how relevant is the work that you do now um, to what you learned, what you studied in undergrad? Because I feel for a lot of people, 
what they learn in undergraduate doesn't really translate into their career. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Um, I think with the broad space and the information that I learn, mm-hmm. um, but something that's really important to know from undergrad, I think is like the basics of Chem 1. I think that's something that you have to know before starting, um, at least in, in research. You'll be amazed at how important like uh, C1, B1 equals C2, V2 is. It's literally my daily life now. And you know, you just pass, it goes over your head when you're like what, a freshman or yeah. sophomore taking that. Um, like that specific idea is really important, but the only things that come into play, I think, is how you think about how you think about research or how you think about how to solve a problem. And that's the only part that matters from your undergrad. Mm. And um, so in regards to your profession, what is a common myth or like misconception that people have about biomedical engineers? I think a a myth, I'm not sure if there's any specific towards biomedical engineers, Uh but um, I think for um, a lot of, engineers in medicine Mm -hmm. I think these um, assumption is that people are not great speakers (laughs) or they're not good at they're not very creative people okay and what I've learned is that um, working with a lot of scientists everyone is very creative but it's it's in a different way it's not in the the general sense of creative and it's also um unless you're, if you're not a good speaker as a scientist, or if you're not a good speaker as an engineer, no one will hire you and no one will um, take you seriously. Like, especially as a biomedical engineer, we work in the middle of both um, like doctors, for example, and then, and then um, people who actually do the work like technicians. So we have to be able to translate both ways, basically. Yeah, And I think a lot of even biomedical engineers overlook that because they think that they can just sit down and do the work, but they forget that they have to know how to speak as well. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that. I mean, I think communication is important in, you know, all different career paths. And you seem to be a really great speaker. So how did you hone in on those skills, those public speaking and communication skills? Oh my gosh, just just constantly (laughs) having to present for school, (laughs) constantly presenting for school. It was like, um, and like our teachers were very, um, they would like point out while you were speaking, you know, they'd tell you, oh yeah, like you have to like stand up straight. You have to um, at least enunciate and be very loud. Um, I think um, to be taken seriously, I, you had, we had to start learning how to do that. I had also joined a club very early on in my college career called Engineers Without Borders. Mm -hmm. And for um, my work in that club was I ended up as the design lead for this project where we designed and implemented five rainwater harvesting systems. So it took a lot of not only speaking to people, um, to our beneficiaries, but also speaking to professors and professionals. And you have to be a good communicator and you have to learn how to speak clearly for people to take you seriously, especially if you're doing something that could impact people's lives. So um, to learn a little bit more about that particular project, so um, Engineers Without Borders, so is that a project that benefits people um, that live in other countries? Yeah, so um, 
basically engineers without borders is about um, making sustainable solutions mm -hmm. for communities that any any chosen communities so basically the communities apply for a project so um, for example the community that i worked with they were looking for um, clean water and they didn't know how they wanted it but they applied for that project through engineers without borders and then for my chapter at city college we took on the project and we adopted it and we assessed their situation and what would be the best solution to give them clean water access and sustainably give them clean water access because after we leave five years down the line we want to make sure that they still have clean water access right yeah so that's that's basically what we go through. We assess their situation, we implement the design, and then um, we teach them how to take care of it and also just how to um, at least keep, keep the design up and keep the um, solution going. So were you able to actually go to that country as well and um, implement these things or was it a remote thing? So I was actually, I traveled there when I was a freshman. So at the end of my freshman year, I traveled there. So I got to meet all of the families. Um, Where? The, which country was this? Oh, in Nicaragua. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I got to travel there um, and we assessed our situation. And we took all these civil, civil engineering things that I didn't understand at the moment, but I had to learn. Um, and we took a lot of surveys of the people because we wanted to understand them, not only like, not only like what they needed, but also understand their habits and their lifestyle to see how much we could better help them and um, implement solutions. Um, then in my, between my sophomore and my junior year, we were designing it. And then in my senior year, we were implementing, we were implementing the design through construction, but we ended up having to do it through a contractor that lives in Nicaragua because um, we weren't able to travel because there was like a travel ban um, because of a lot of um, civil unrest. Okay. In the country. So we were able to still implement the designs and actually hold the construction, but we just weren't able to travel in the end. But at least we were at least happy that the construction was completed. Yeah. So, so you haven't been able to go back and like see the work for yourself. Yeah, I have pictures, but that's, that's the best I've had since but then. It, yeah. But the whole project sounds, I mean, incredibly fulfilling. I mean, is this one of the reasons why you wanted to pursue this field? I mean, helping people. I think it was, it was when I was, when I started at City College, I started working in the club because I was like, you know what, I need like friends too. <laughs> because I think at City College is a little bit hard. Um, it is at a commuter people. school. Yeah, it's really hard to meet people at a commuter school, which is why I started going to the club. But then as I grew to know the people and then I grew to know the project, I really like fell in love with the idea of creating a sustainable solution because I don't like things where um, I went to like a Christian school when I was younger. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who go on missions trips and they just build things and they leave. And that bothers me a lot. <laughs> like just to put a lot of thought and effort in how you're helping people is what um, drew me more to working with the club and working with the people. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, because as you stated prior, people would need to be able to sustain these things mm -hmm. once you leave. Um, and I'm sure it was really difficult uh, during your undergraduate years. This doesn't seem like an easy, you know, career path to pursue. So 
what kind of, you know, study tips can you give to somebody who wants to pursue this field? Um, how did you maintain your grades? Things like that. I think the best thing was having other people to study with, especially like a lot of the work we get is like figuring out questions mm -hmm. and having people to sit down and you all thinking about the question at the same time is probably the best thing. Um, I think early on, of course, just using like YouTube and like websites where people have other lessons, um, um, like, and also like Quizlet, people have their, um, what's it called, cue card, not cue cards, I'm sorry. Card on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> the Khan Academy. That was definitely questions. Yeah, yeah, no. They have like that early on, but I think in your like junior and your senior years, what's really important is having friends to like discuss things with. And then also just having um just having that support system, I think really makes makes or breaks you in your last couple of years. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're just a genius, of course, but you know. <laughs> And also, I mean, because this seems like it was so demanding for you. So were you able to work um, during your years as an undergraduate student? Like, how were you able to, I mean, sustain yourself while you were in school? So I, um, I was working in, I worked before I started college. Mm -hmm. I was working at like Dunkin' Donuts. Mm -hmm. And then in my freshman year, I didn't work. But then my sophomore year, summer, I started working again. Okay. But then I got the opportunity to be a part of a program that would, um, that would pay me to do research, if that makes sense. Yes. So it was a program at City College mm -hmm. um, called the RISE program, who basically supports minority students um, doing research. So basically I was, instead of working, I was able to do my research and that was the hours I'd make um, for making like some, some of money. It wasn't much, but it was like at least like $10 an hour. Yeah. Like something to, you know, keep you afloat. It's something because yeah. I was, I, I wasn't living at home. So it was a little bit more, whatever I, whatever expenses I had was, was on me. Oh, were you living on campus? I lived in the towers my freshman year, okay. but then I moved into apartment basically after that. Because okay. I went to my friends at first, and I didn't know where else to live, honestly. And it's also much more cost-effective, too, to have an apartment rather yeah. than live in the towers. I know that's really expensive. Yeah. I know everyone that moved in the first year basically moved out because it was too expensive yeah. to keep living there. Yeah, no, definitely. So when you um, did graduate, when, what year did you graduate? I graduated in 2020. Okay. Oh, wow. So you graduated, I mean, in the midst of COVID-19 when everything was crazy. Well, how was that? Did you have like a lot of anxieties about, oh my gosh, I just graduated. Now I'm looking for a full-time job. And we're also in the midst of this pandemic that nobody really knows much about. Yeah, it was, it was, it was such a pain, I think, just because I knew um, it was first, there was the level of like, wow, like, I'm not, I'm just not seeing, like, any of these people again. Like, all of these people I spent, like, four years with. Right. One of my friends moved to, like, Michigan. One of them moved to Arizona. I was, like, I, I was just, like, I just won't see them again. Yeah. And I haven't seen a lot of people since 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, besides that, for work, I had an internship lined up in the summer, so I wasn't too immediately stressed. Right. And I think, that kind of helped me in the middle of um, the summer. So I didn't have 
and nothing to do at least. And then I also joined a hackathon during the summer as well um, after I graduated because like I, I need to do something with myself. Yeah, you need to keep yourself um, busy. Yeah, so I think I was just constantly trying to keep myself busy doing something. Um, I think I started applying for work probably right after I finished interning or towards mm -hmm. the end of my internship. And that took like two, it only took like a couple months, but it okay. was, you know, applying to like at least 10 jobs a day yeah. just to see what would stick and then doing multiple interviews and then deciding like, oh, like if I decline this, am I actually going to get something else? The interview process is also really not easy. I mean, do you recommend tailoring your cover letter to each particular company that you apply for? I think if you really want a job, you really <laughs> should. <laughs> like, you can apply to things without tailoring it that much, sure. Um, but if you don't have the time, just submit the resume, honestly. Um, but I learned really well how to do that. And I started using, um, do you know what Overleaf is? Overleaf? No. What is yeah. that? So it's kind of, it is a bit coding-ish, okay. but it makes your resume really pretty. Um, so you can see so your resume stands out in the first place. Uh -huh. So people notice it. And then you can basically edit it and just continue to edit it for every single job you apply to, which I found really helpful. Um, but I usually, if I really wanted a job, I tailor the cover letter to the job. And you end up with so many paragraphs, sometimes you just get to piece them together eventually. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that is such strenuous work. That has to be my least favorite part about applications, tailoring that cover letter. But I feel that, I mean, it has to be done. I mean, I personally don't feel comfortable just submitting a resume. And I mm -hmm. feel that most places require a cover letter. I mean, because that's when you have the chance to really sell yourself and sell your skills. So I try to optimize that. But Oh. The time, I don't know if they read it, but I submit it anyway. But I'm, you know, my friend, oh. every single job she... <laughs> <laughs> my light fell. Okay, we're all good. <laughs> every single job that my friend applied to and she didn't submit a cover letter is the one she got interviews for. So sometimes wow. you never know. Sometimes they don't look at them. Sometimes wow, you're just really? submitting it to submit I'm it. I'm shocked um, to hear that. And this is your friend who was also a biomedical engineer, right? Yeah, my, yeah, she's a biomedical engineer and she works as a clinical engineer. Wow. And the jobs that she didn't, that is very interesting to me. Yeah, she got interviews for the ones she didn't submit cover letters to. And you know what? I don't know. It's, it's very random. So, as long as you have like, um, if you go through the, the, the description, mm -hmm. I always like to put words in it from the description and the resume. Right. The so if they command F. Highlight those keywords because I mean, people have softwares that if those keywords don't pop up on your resume, then you're just not going to get looked at. You're not going to get an interview. So that's really a really good tip. Um, and what was that website that you um, told me about just now? Overleaf. Overleaf. Okay. And um, do you need prior coding knowledge in order to operate that or... I don't think so. I think if you sit down and you like stare at it for a little bit, I think it makes sense because you, like I'm a biomedical engineer, but I'm not a coder. Okay. So I learned coding by experience, if that makes sense. Okay. Because someone told me I had to, I was learning it. They told I you had to, why? Because it's necessary in your field or just because? Because some project you know. came up, like, like my senior design project was uh -huh. 
very coding based. Okay. I'm not much of a coder, but I have to do it. So, you know what, you get through it and you just like stare at the code till it makes sense. (laughs) I mean, I think those, I mean, I think that's great to, it's good knowledge to have. Uh, Personally, for me, I'm a political science major pursuing law school, but um, at some point I was really interested in coding. I know it's such a lucrative field and Mm -hmm. um, I was really interested into it in it um, because I'm really interested in the front end of things like I like designing websites and being creative in that aspect but I also wanted to learn a little bit more about the back end so I tried to you know take some classes to learn a little bit about coding (laughs) didn't go so well Um, (laughs) the back end is ugly right yeah yeah I think my patience is just I I don't have the patience for that and I prefer reading and writing hence you know my major but um it's definitely something (laughs) that's better my brother is um my brother's in law school now and really yeah he can read for hours he has hours of reading to do I can't do that but you can give me like math problems and I'll you'll solve it right there yeah no like it's just it's just preference and what you're gonna here is your brother in my brother is in his second year. Yeah, oh, my, in his second year awesome. at school at Georgetown. So he lives really? in DC. That's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what kind of law he wants to um, pursue? I'm not sure because I know that um, his internship, I, I think your internship in your second summer is what kind of determines it. Right. And he has one lined up in DC, but I'm not really sure what they do. <laughs> You could ask me all day about his, his job. I'm not sure. At one point, he told us he was interested in public public defense, but okay. I think he moved from that. Right. But in an ideal wor- world, he would do public defense if there is. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's the that's the thing also. With, yeah, that's also something we could talk about. I mean, it, it's how do you balance doing something that you're really passionate about you know, you want to do that, but you also want to be able to sustain a living, especially, I mean, we live in such an expensive city. New York City is ridiculously expensive. I mean, rent is through the roof. So speaking on that, I mean, what does a salary look like for somebody um, entry level for a biomedical engineer? You don't have to give your range, um, just what it looks like, you know, generally. I'd say... um at least from from knowing myself and my friends, at least mm-hmm. what they've gotten paid, I'd say anywhere from like sixty to seventy five. Okay, is, is the range I hear, which is but comfortable. Like, yeah, it's 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 comfortable. I think that's the benefit of being in engineering, right? Um, but I think in an ideal world, I think a lot, at least for me, like I would do a PhD, but it's it's expensive and it's it's really hard to live um on like maybe 20 to 30k for like five years without somebody else helping you yeah and i think it can be like a pain um but if you get a job at like a biotech company Mm -hmm. you will have a comfortable salary it'll be hard to get promoted as an entry level and without a phd but um you can have a comfortable like entry level salary and um i mean did you when you entered your job, were, were there any room for negotiations? Because I know for a lot of people, especially, you know, people of color and women in general, sometimes I feel like we undervalue ourselves and we don't really get the amount that we should be getting. Um, and there's also such a stigma a- around speaking about 
salaries. And I think that that's just a way for companies to protect themselves. You know, it's not really doing the employees any good, not talking about salaries. So yeah, can you speak to that a little bit? Honestly, um, none of the like people in my position, I know are a- were able to negotiate a salary or negotiate to increase their salary. Mm-hmm. Even I think I did try to negotiate a little bit when I was getting my temp job because I had another offer on the table as well. Okay. And even with that, there was just no luck. There was no room. <laughs> yeah, there was no room. And I, I guess because I also was just going to end up staying in New York, that's why I ended up taking the lower offer in the end. But mm-hmm. um, there was not much especially in biotech. I think when you work in business or in finance, there's a lot more room for for negotiation in terms of salary. The only job that negotiated with me was for a pro- procurement job, mm-hmm. which I can't really speak to what they do. I, okay. They know they buy things, <laughs> which is basically the, the, the gist of the job is they buy things okay. for like research and development. Mm-hmm. And they were willing to negotiate with me, but any job for research, well, was not. Um, so what did you, why did you decide to stay um, in New York? Because it sounds like perhaps you were getting uh, bigger offers in other states. So mm-hmm. what kept you here as opposed to going elsewhere? I just, I, I like New York. I, I just like New York better. Um, there are biotech companies in Boston that I know of, and but all of the other companies are in California. So it's either I move all the way across the country where I have no family or anything like that, or I stay in New York or Boston even. I didn't see much in Boston, but I guess I could have applied to Boston as well. Um, But I definitely knew Regeneron was at least a more diverse company than Mm -hmm. the other biotech companies as well. Yeah. It's also a prime motivator because when I did intern, um, in my senior year, it was very not diverse and it's very, it's just not comfortable. Yeah. That's also something else that I wanted to speak to you about. Um, So when I was doing a little bit of research, I see that there's over 13,000 biomedical engineers currently employed in the United States, Mm -hmm. but um, only 25% of those are women, 67% of those are men, and um, 59% of those are white people and 19% Asian, 12% Hispanic or Latino and 4% African American. So it really seems like it's not much, there's not much diversity in your line of work and it's not really inclusive. So knowing that, um, how do you propose we encourage and inspire more people like yourself um, to get into this field? Because we need more people of color. We need more women in STEM. I think it's important. I think it's, it, it's, we definitely need more people. And I feel like if you really love research, there's, um, you shouldn't be afraid to, to not pursue, I think, I think for a lot of, especially um, immigrant children, I feel like we feel like we're supposed to be studying to be a doctor. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. (laughs) Those are the only three options you have in an immigrant. So I feel like no one ever thinks to be in research. And I think Mm -hmm. the only way to tell people that there are other options in medicine, aside from just being in the clinical world, is to actually, like, there should be more mentorship 
because I feel like companies try to do mentorship, but they're doing mentorship in the, in the communities that don't need it. Right. I feel like we, people need more mentorship um, to actually know what career paths are actually available when you don't want to work as a doctor, when you don't want to work as a nurse, when you don't want to um, be a lawyer or like a mechanical engineer working for Con Ed. Yeah. No, definitely. I think you're so right about that. We definitely need to go into these underprivileged communities and let them know that there are a lot of different career paths out there. There's a lot of opportunities. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast, because I'm a first generation college student. None of my parents um, completed college. Um, and I, I knew that it was really important for me to expose people to these different paths and that's why I'm so grateful and thankful that you're here today um, sharing your knowledge with you know potential listeners and kind of getting them acquainted with you know the field so yeah I think that's really important um, so we are almost coming to an end, but before we come to an end, I wanted to ask you this little fun question. Um, because you are a biomedical engineer, um, I have been keeping up to date with the whole Elizabeth Holmes, you know, Theranos debacle. Um, I wanted to know, like, what is your perspective on that? Um, I mean, she said that her device could, with a little pinch and a little bit of blood, you can diagnose hundreds and you could run hundreds and hundreds of, you know, diagnostic tests. So, um, and she was able to get away with this for a really long time. So uh, what do you think about this controversial topic? I find it so interesting that she got so far. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and she didn't even have, I mean, she, I think she did one semester or one year at Stanford and that was really it. That was the bulk of her education. People just need to hear a name, like a like a fancy name, and they'll just they'll they won't ask you questions. If you go to city college, you'll get a lot more questions. <laughs> exactly. Like not that her whatever she was trying to make wasn't isn't feasible. It's just um, they didn't actually do it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how they tricked people into it, but they I guess no one asked for data, no one asked for proof, and that's kind of weird in the science field to not be asking for proof of what you're doing because everything I do like if I, if something is is a little bit off someone's gonna ask yeah I mean it's, like, I'm sorry continue no I was just gonna say like a lot of science is checks and balances there that's why everything's peer-reviewed yeah I mean sure and the fact that I mean even huge conglomerates I mean CVS at one point was in partnership with her so how she got away with this I don't know but it's interesting though that you say that what she was trying to do was feasible um really is that a possibility because um when I was you know reading the documentaries and watching they said that the amount of blood that um would be taken from the patient was too little um for them to run all those diagnostics it just wasn't well, yeah. enough. Like it's not a it's not enough in with our current technology. Okay. Not that you would need um, the amount of blood she needs is very little, but it's not impossible to create something that needs less blood. Okay. Because I think with our current technology you can't, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean it can't be created. Okay. It's just that she 
wasn't trying. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Like you could one day potentially, there's always, there's always room for growth in the medical field. And we do a lot of stuff invasively now that we never thought we could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the fun thing about being a scientist is trying to figure out how to do things that seem impossible. Mm-hmm. And you're always like constantly learning and growing. Like you never <laughs> stop learning in a field like this. Yeah, exactly. I had to learn something for a presentation I did on Wednesday. I had no idea. I literally didn't know what I was doing till I had to present it to me. And that keeps it fun and exciting and keeps you on your toes, you know? Yeah, for sure. And there's something new to learn. And even if it's very niche work that no one else understands, but... Well, I want to thank you so much, Daria, for coming onto the podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you here. And um, I hope this podcast, you know, was really informative. And I hope that it helps a lot of people who are potentially interested in this career path. It seems like a really great career, extremely fulfilling and rewarding. And yeah, I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to this. And thank you once again, Daria. I really appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) No problem.